Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Patrick, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting. Oh, Steve, how are you doing? Nick, it's a cup of COVID. How are you? Oh, a little bit more delicate than uh, normal uh, today. A little bit delicate. Why are you delicate, Nick? A little bit more than normal. Not too bad. Because I went out for a substantial meal last night. Ah, what was your substantial meal? Was it uh, Scotch egg? <laughs> they did have, my local pub does now have like a kind of, um, uh, you know, like those oven with the glass front counter with pasties and sausage rolls and things in right. it. So I'm not sure whether that's a way to allow a drinker to come in. So you can have a pint, but you've got to have at least a sausage roll. <laughs> I didn't see it's any like Scotch eggs. Well, I mean, I kind of understand what the government's trying to do, right? They're not making people, they don't want people to go and just get hammered, you know. Um, but also, like, using a term like substantial meal, because obviously if you had a thousand scotch eggs, that's clearly a substantial meal, isn't it? Like, that's a lot of food, you know. And then they, well, they have to do it by calories. How do you do it? Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a flexible term, and I think there's an element of common sense allowed, isn't there? They're allowing people to exercise some common sense, I think. Yeah, that, that would work out well. You see, someone's come up with a new ale called Substantial Meal. It's like nice. a, a hand pump. <laughs> I'll have a substantial <laughs> meal, please. But no, I had I had uh, a soup. I had soup of the day for my starter. Yeah. And then for my main meal, I had a rack of lamb, herb encrusted rack of lamb. Nice. The most expensive thing on the menu. <laughs> and then for dessert, I had treacle sponge. Wow, that is a that is a that is I would that is definitely a substantial meal, Nick. I think and I that, washed it down. No question. I washed it. I washed it all down with three pints of proper job and a large glass of Malbec. Oh wow! So you you really went for it? Yeah, that's why I'm feeling a little bit. Well, it's the first <sighs> number one lockdown had finished, although it wasn't Hooray! really. Yeah, wasn't it? Well, <laughs> and like wow, to everyone in tier three. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Tier two, tier two is not even that much better. But anyway, yeah, there's that. And I also finished my running challenge. I was running every day of lockdown, and that's gone. Now. So that was like, my... You don't like to talk about it, though, do you, Nick? You keep it on the down low. That <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. You've only mentioned You're it maybe five or six charity, times mate. on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what have you been running for? <laughs> it's for a good cause. I just want to get the uh, the message uh -huh. out there, Steve. Yeah, so well, well, you finished now, so you don't need to talk about it anymore. Yeah, okay, we don't yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah, you, you can piss <laughs> off as well. Anyway, so um, so I had a good time. But anyway, the substantial meal, the whole thing, got me thinking about were the pubs and why they closed the pubs, and not the shops, and what the evidence was for closing the pubs and not the right. shops. So I had a look and I couldn't really find much evidence specifically about pubs that was published. And I don't think that there is. Well, I know. Um, so I was listening to um, uh, Jonathan Van Tan, who's the deputy chief medical officer, uh, talking at the uh, press, uh, the press briefing yesterday. And he was saying that the, the Japanese use these this the three C's term, which you have confined space. Um, if they're, I forget, I forget what the, the other two are for, but, but essentially as he was describing it, I was thinking, oh, that's memorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what, one's a confined space, I, I forget exactly, but, the, but they're, yeah, essentially if there's, um, uh, the chance of elevated voices as well as another thing. So if people are speaking and shouting, then they're going to spit a little bit and, you know, you increase the chance of transmission. If there's congestion, that's another one of the, if there's larger numbers of people. So, so I, I think pubs basically 
tick all of those boxes and it kind of makes sense but I, you're right i don't think anyone actually it makes I sense to it, the public I, I think it is common sense right and that's yeah. what they're doing it based on but they're kind of like inferring from other studies that have been done like um just just before i talk about those there's Chris Whitty said in October, 30%, he he came up with a number, 30% of all COVID-19 cases are contacted by people visiting bars, restaurants and, and pubs and nightclubs. Right. So a rather high percentage, but it's not really based on any published data, I don't think. He was criticised for it widely. But um, but it's it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, people have done lots of research on droplet transmission, and we know now that predominantly COVID is transmitted by people in close contact by large droplets, but actually aerosol droplets less than five microns. So mm. a micrometer is tiny. So like five, micro, five micrometers is like much less the size than one of your cells in your body. So it's impossible mm. to see. But COVID can travel around in that. And in the early stages of the um, outbreak, there was a study in Korea where they did lots of contact tracing. And they found in office blocks that there was a very high degree of transmission in office blocks. But it, it was quite confined to particular spaces. So in an office block where people were sitting quite close together in a call center, there were lots of transmission of cases, but just on the other side of that same floor of the office block, there were relatively few. So from that, they sort of deduced that it was likely due to a combination of people walking past each other and also the air that they were breathing. Seems reasonable. The other thing, the other thing is that people have worked out kind of like volumes that people um, breathe as well. Like, and you know, so someone did a calculation. This was. Um, chap called julian tang who's been in the press recently because he's done a lot of work on you know um the dynamics of droplet droplet movements in air which i know you've been interested in as well steve didn't you yeah, we, we no we um we did a podcast on it nick i remember saying that the, the i think smaller than about five microns so this two meter if you i think it was one of the first podcasts we did this two meter value is based upon some really old uh, work done um, in the 40s, I think, and and actually it was before that we even had a lot of technology to measure small droplets. But anything smaller than about five, as I remember, basically stays in the air. Doesn't really yeah. like it just it gets buffeted around and doesn't actually drop settle. Um, so it can hang about even if you know even after it's kind of you know just in the air. And do you know how much? This is just an example. So if you've got a hundred people breathing for 60 minutes. Um, do you know how much of air is passing through their lungs over a period of an hour, for instance? So if you imagine 100 people... Well, the, to the total volume of air? Just breathing in a room. Well, okay, so you probably breathe a litre of air, let's say that, um, and there's 100 people, and you probably... say everyone breathes in and out 60 times. Um, so I reckon, 60, I reckon it's 60,000 litres of air. That is absolutely on the nose. Of mm, <laughs> how do you like them apples? <laughs> absolutely on the nose. <laughs> and that's about, that's uh, taking into account the size of a bar, that's about 50%, the sort of room volume of, you know, a fairly substantial yeah. bar or pub, the area downstairs. So I'm, the air I'm is... I'm pleased you know, with that. I'm just going to bask in that for a little bit longer. <laughs> everyone's breathing out each other's air for that whole time. So... Yeah, it makes it. I think a lot of it's based on common sense, but there has been a paper quite recently. Uh, this was just uh, last month in Nature, and it's called Mobility Network Models of COVID 19 Explains Inequities in Informed Reopening. I don't even understand the title. And this paper is written by modelers 
which means they just talk in nonsense <laughs> in the way that they normally speak. <laughs> Uh, if you exactly. fight your way, if you try and fight your way through this paper, you'll be none the wiser by the time you get to the end is it, of it. Is it completely simulation based? There's no actual no, science. No, it's in there. interesting, and I'm sure it's of the highest quality. But I don't yeah. understand it, and I'm not going to okay. pretend that I understand it. But the, the the kind of upshot is what they did was they they use mobility networks. So in the states, there's a there's a special um, there's a data source, which I'll I'll find a, what it is um, in a second. But basically, it's um, it's called SafeGraph, and it's a company that aggregates lots of anonymous mobile mobile data location um, stuff. So they sort of mm -hmm. know where people are moving, but they can't tell who they are. And what they did was they can categorize um, uh, places of interest. So that's like a bar or a restaurant, and they can categorize people into blocks of like between thirty and three hundred people. So little blocks of population living next to each other. And then they map their movements and they map how long they spend, you know, at home and traveling in between places. And they can find things from that data, like, you know, when lockdown was in implemented in the States, mm -hmm. uh, there was much less movement. Um, but then from that, and then looking at the data of the pattern of spread, particularly in some states which do contact tracing really well, they can deduce that often what happens okay, is most so of the transmission, most of the, yeah. And, and from that, from that, they work out that a lot of the transmission is related to points of interest, which happen to be restaurants and bars, much more so than other things like shops. So that there's actually data. Basically, what I'm trying to say is there's, there's hard data in that paper suggesting that bars and restaurants are a significant part of the transmission. The rest of it's all modelling. So then, based on all that data, they 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 make these ridiculously complex models yeah. to try and perturb things. So they'll, they'll, they'll move something like they'll turn someone into a super spreader and see what happens and all that yeah. kind of business. And that's where I kind of lose it. But I think the upshot of this paper is that it does look indeed like places of interest, which happen to be bars and restaurants are much better at spreading the disease than other places like for instance, um, churches. And um, so all of your, all of your well. lockdown skeptics that are going to, you know, they're not going to like that, aren't they? Cause they're going to say, well, it's just the same as the shoe shop. Isn't it the same as the shoe shop? The pub's the same as the shoe shop. Well, no, it's and not can... because the shoe shop, the spreading's much less than no, the shoe no, shop. No, I, I agree, but that's, but that's, that would have been the argument, right? That, oh that yeah, yeah, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the other problem with it, it's, I mean, because it's a modeling paper, it's basically number masturbation. So it's just people who get some. I data. love how you've got this massive, like, they distrust just, yeah. of any anything that's not, like, directly <laughs> measured. You just hate it, don't you? That anything that's predictive, you're like, oh, no, it could go down. Well, you don't know, do you? No one's measured it. Like, I think I it's complex. It's the over complexity of models which make them so flexible to interpret anything you want from them that I don't like. <laughs> it's a principle where it's basically coming from you know the point of view someone I, who doesn't I, understand I, modeling. I agree. I agree. Like, no, think about it. Like, no, no one ever does a simulation in a paper and it shows the opposite of what they're trying to prove. Never. Yeah. <laughs> like, so if you say, oh, oh, we did some simulations, it basically means we, we messed around with some numbers until it agreed with what we wanted to see and, and then we left see, it. You can see them sitting there at, at home in a pant for ages. <laughs> and just seeing these numbers bounce around on the screen. Is that what you think theoreticians do? It's just like a, like a Windows 95 screensaver with like the number six just bouncing around. <laughs> anyway, Steve, go to the pub, but be careful when you're there.